Welcome to Musicians Versus the World, the podcast where we explore aspects of music and musician life that may not have been covered in music school. I am your host, Christine Smith. It is March, which means it is Women's History Month, which means that we are celebrating women composers. And that means that my most popular guest, Jenny Boster, is back with me today. She's going to be telling us a few more women composers and female composers that we should be listening to this month. And she's going to invite us to join her in her Composers Challenge that she does every year. Jenny is a nationally certified teacher of music, and she is the owner of The Playful Piano. It's a blog and online store with all sorts of resources for music teachers and piano teachers. And it also includes her very popular music history series that is called Shades of Sound. And Shades of Sound has resources specifically for female composers as well. So it's definitely something that you should check out. And with that introduction, welcome to Musicians vs. the World, Jenny, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. I always love being here. It's so fun to to chat and chat about what's happening in the world of female composers. Yeah. Yeah. So how has your year been? It's been a year since I've seen you. It's been a year. I know. It's It's been busy. <laughs> it's been really busy in life <laughs> and in, you know, my work that I've been doing. Um, it's, it's been good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so glad that you're doing the female composer challenge again. Um, it has, I'm sure that's just been growing every year that you've been doing it. Oh, Is yeah. this your third year now? The third year. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, and people, it's fun because people tell me how excited they are and they look forward to it all year long. And, and so it's, it's really fun to, to come back and, and introduce a whole new set of female composers. So this year it's all new composers we haven't covered yet. So 31 mm-hmm. new ones. So it's really exciting. So that's amazing. This is your third year doing it. That means that there's been 93 female composers yeah. that we have not covered. And before that, I had already released my first Shades of Sound women composers book. And there was there were 19 in there. And I, ha- I haven't covered any of those in the challenge either. So, I mean, p- some people are like, are there really that many female composers? But there really are. Like I could keep going, you know, like I'm always (laughs) discovering new ones. I have a list that I just keep track and I, you know, start making my list for the next year. So it's really fun. Well, and what's exciting for me is female composers are becoming more represented in repertoire and in, um, you know, just kind of in the media. And so it's been fun because I have this background because of your female composer challenges that I know them. And so when I hear about them, I already have some sort of background. Exactly. And it's exciting when you hear about them. Um, Like at the Grammys, Jermaine Franco won the Grammy and she was in our challenge last year. She was the composer for the film Encanto. That's right. When you already know their names to to see them doing great things and getting the recognition that they deserve. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, she's not the only one. Who else? I have a list Um, here. I think Caroline Shaw. So it was her album. Mm-hmm. That was by a, a string quartet, but it was all of her music. Yeah. That, that album won a Grammy as well. I think there were some others. Right. The best orchestral performance was won by the New York Youth Symphony under the direction of Michael Repper, but they performed works by Florence Price, Jesse Montgomery, and Valerie Coleman. Yeah. So, so and that's cool. Just, I know. And that's just in the classical world. That's not even talking about pop right. and country. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, so it's cool. really, really exciting. When we last chatted, you talked about some statistics about the growth of of mm-hmm. the music that's being performed, performed and scheduled. Do you want to share some of that? You know, I haven't looked it up recently, but there there was a study. Yeah. And I mean, there was like 
there's more female conductors, which is awesome. One of the the cool ones was that nine out of the 20 most perform most performed living composers are women, which is so cool. It's almost 50%. And so that's not, you know, the historical ones that's still overwhelmingly men, of course, but, but that's really exciting that half of the living composers, because there's so many, so many women composing today. Yeah. Yeah. And also not just women composers, but at the Grammys, Judith Sherman won producer of the year for classical and it's her 14th Grammy total, but it's her seventh Grammy yet for producer of the year. So I think just women in the music world in general are really starting to come to the forefront. And it's, it's really exciting because you get a whole different perspective. Totally. Everybody who composes music and produces music, they, they have their own life experiences and that's in the creative arts, that's where you get your inspiration is from your life. So it's, we need, you know, we need that perspective. We need to hear music written by women because it tells a different story. Mm-hmm. Um, if, for example, can I give you a couple examples of that? Yes. Um, from the challenge that we're doing this month, a couple from that. So there's a composer named Sally Whitwell and she's from Australia and we're going to be listening to one of her piano pieces. It's called Loopy Lady. Um, I really like it. It's really fun. And the whole, it has like four movements and there's kind of like a variety of moods and, and styles in there, but the inspiration was it's inspired by the kind of the emotions of a teenager. So Loopy Lady, I mean, to capture that teenage girl (laughs) experience, like in music is kind of cool. You know, you're not going to get that from from a man, right? You're just not. <laughs> um, another cool thing that I read about one of our other composers is Anne Saldam. She was a Canadian composer and she was one of my favorites that I learned about this time. And we could even talk about her more later if you want, but she, she was really into feminism and just trying to get women, you know, representation. In fact, when she passed away, she um, bequeathed like $14 million to the Canadian Women's Foundation. Wow. She was like really into feminism and all of that, but she she wrote a lot of minimalist piano music. Mm-hmm. And she talked about kind of this analogy that this kind of piano music reminded her of like traditional women's work. Like they're working with their hands, they're sewing, they're cooking, they're chopping things and and how the world can't function without that. And so it was kind of a cool tie-in to her music, which is yeah. very repetitive. It's this very minimalist style. Um, yeah. So just there's just a couple of little examples. Where, you know, in the music, yeah. we get this this feminine perspective, and it's different. You know, it's unique, and we need to hear these authentic voices. So yeah, yeah, and I think that listening to some more women composers is really helpful for the next generation. You know, it's, I think it's great for people who, you know, our children's age or our students' age. To them, it's just normal. So there's no reason why they couldn't, they couldn't do that. Exactly. Exactly. That's why I think it's so important. We've talked about this before. I'm sure in the other episodes, it's so important for teachers. Like we're the ones who are going to be kind of shifting the tide. If we can like mm-hmm. raise our, our piano students, our music students, just knowing about these women, then it's going to be a totally different story once that generation has grown up and they are kind of the forefront in the music world. So it'll mm-hmm. be really cool if we can if we can get if we can start teaching them about these women. Yeah. Now, if you have a top five. Women come up. I know you have 31 that we're going to be listening to. Right. But can you, right. what are five 
composers that you think that we just cannot go the year 23 without listening to? So do you want ones that are like from this this year's challenge or just kind of in general? Because I have, okay, that's, okay. So, <laughs> and and then you have like, there's the living ones or just in all of history? Like, what do you want? Like what? <laughs> <laughs> I love this. This is like my son asking me, what's your favorite <laughs> piece of music. Now I'm like, what do you mean? Now, do you mean like romantic like, piece of music? Do you mean piano? Yes, <laughs> exactly. exactly. So I tell him like, oh no, that's like asking the beach what his favorite <laughs> grain of sand is. You just can't do that. Right. So let's, okay, let's, let's narrow go, it down. Okay. We can go historical first. Like if okay. we go historical, like, okay, so for me, I'm a pianist. I'm a piano teacher. Okay. Let's go historical. If I had to pick five, like Piano. I have a little list here, but I'm trying to narrow it down. Okay. So, <laughs> I mean, okay. I, I, th- I really, really love um, Helen de Montgeroux. She was a French yes. classical era. I think she's really important. She taught about making the piano sing. She was one of the first people to do mm-hmm. that. And she has a huge um, collection of etudes and they're awesome. Right. And I think they should be played. So I'm going to say her. Um and I want to say Clara. Everyone would say Clara because they yeah. know her. Right. Um, though she doesn't have as much for the for all levels. Hers are right. Her pieces are harder. So, so, so it's Clara it, Schumann. Just to just to be clear, Clara Schumann. Clara Schumann. Yes. Yeah. yeah Clara Schumann. <laughs> um, I I would say Florence Price, be, right. just because she has so much keyboard music, piano music. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, at all levels. She wrote a lot for her own students. She had a, she had a studio, a huge studio. She had like a hundred students at a time mm-hmm. and she would write music for them. So she has like really easy level teaching pieces, but then she has so much other music at yeah. all the levels. Yes. And it's easier to find her music now. When we talked first spoke about her three years ago, mm-hmm. you had to go to an archive to find it. And now yeah. you can find published. It's a lot easier. You can find mm-hmm. a lot of them that are like the digital downloads, you can purchase right. them, get them immediately. Mm-hmm. You can get them in books. So that's really exciting. How many have I done? Is that three? That was three. Yeah. Oh gosh. I have to say Amy Beach. She's, she's again, one of the most important. She's one that everybody would say, they would say Amy Beach and Clara. Those are the only two they would probably know. I think she's, <laughs> she's really great for, for piano music. She was kind of a, one of the forefront first big female composers in the United States. She's one of, mm-hmm. you know, she's, written a lot of really amazing music, um, which we don't see a lot in anthologies. So I would love to see more of her music being played. Um, And if I had to pick one more, oh goodness, (laughs) Mel Bonis. Yes. Yes. I love her music. She's from, you know, France, the romantic era. um, Mm -hmm. And she wrote the most beautiful piano music. Yeah. There's so many more I could say. Those are my historical that I, that I love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So no, how about how about from this year? What are some good ones that we should look from out for this next year's year? challenge? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. from this year's challenge, I I love Valerie Capers. Mm-hmm. She's she's a living composer. She's from the United States. Um, can I tell you a little bit about her? She's Please amazing. Do. So yeah. she was born she's born in the 30s um in New York, New York City in the Bronx. So her father was a professional stride pianist and he was a close friend of Fats Waller the famous jazz pianist. So she knew him as a young girl. 
And her mom also played. There was always music all over their piano and just very musical family. When she was six years old, she got a strep infection and it made her blind, made her go blind. Um, So because of that, she has had so many um, barriers to kind of cross in her her career, but she ended up getting like a fantastic education at the New York Institute for the Education of the Blind, where she took piano lessons. And she had, she was like the most hardworking driven student. When she was 12 years old, she would practice like five or six hours a day. Wow. And because of her disability, she would have to, once she got to college, she, she was the first blind graduate of Juilliard. She got a full right scholarship to Juilliard. She would memorize all her music in the summer because she had Braille sheet music. Okay. She would memorize it in the summer. Um, although now I'm like, did she have Braille that she read from? She, I know she composed in Braille. I'm sure she must have. I don't know how that works, but she would memorize it in the summer, then learn to play it. Wow. And her her composition, she doesn't have a huge output because to compose, she would write it in Braille. She would then read it aloud, like on a cassette tape and record it, like speaking the notes. And then somebody would transcribe it into sheet music. So it was a very logistically like complicated process, but she has this one and I actually have it right here. She has this one book, this work for piano called portraits in jazz. And she was saying how she loved that, you know, these great composers like Schumann and Tchaikovsky had music they wrote for children, you know, like an album for the young type thing where they could learn, you know, students at a lower level could learn to play that style and it would sound beautiful and it would sound like that composer. And she wanted to do that for jazz. So she, after she graduated from Juilliard, she took two years off classical music and just immersed herself in jazz and learned jazz. So she is known for her jazz music. Um, a lot of her compositions are for like a jazz ensemble, but this is, this is her work for piano. And I think there's like 12 movements they're, but they're great for students. They're all based off of a different person, a famous jazz musician. So oh. there's one called Ella Scats the Little Lamb. So it's all about <laughs> Ella Fitzgerald. There's one about Billie Holiday. There's one inspired by Louis Armstrong. Oh, how fun. Anyway, they're very, they're so fun. So um, even though that's her, her only kind of um, work for piano, I think it's really important because and her whole thinking also was to help those classical, classically trained piano teachers, um, give them a resource yeah. that they can introduce their students to jazz. And she includes all these really great performance notes, and it's a really good guide for teachers. Oh. So I just thought she was so fascinating. Yeah. And that, my goodness, that is such a hard way to compose music. Yeah. Like if she had been born you know, just 50 years later, she could use the MIDI keyboard and it would transcribe mm-hmm. it for her. Oh my gosh. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, she has a relatively small output, but it's because it was so, you know, complicated to just get the yeah. music written down out there. But she's, she was a really, you know, she was on all these faculties. She was a faculty at the Manhattan School of Music and she introduced jazz to lots of different, you know, curriculums and things. But wow. so I loved learning about her. She was really awesome. Uh, we already talked about Anne Southam a little bit from Canada. Oh, I looked her up a little bit. And what's really awesome about her is she started out in electronic music. Yes. Yeah. Which, yeah. Yeah. Which is easy now because we have all these like digital, you know, yeah. audio workstations and things. So it's very easy. But like back then, back there then were these was- massively huge machines 
and it was yeah. very technical and, and very almost, oh, it was crazy. And it was very male dominated. And for her to be so successful in that is really, really something. It is. And it's really cool because she kind of got her big break because she got into the dance world. She met uh, somebody who was the head of, and I can't remember, I don't have it written down, but a Canadian dance company. Mm -hmm. And so they collaborated for years and she basically made her name in the dance world instead of kind of on the performance stage. Yeah. Um, but she wrote a lot of electronic music for dance. So and awesome. there's some really cool interviews that I found. There's a whole album of uh, all about her life with interviews and stuff on Apple music. You can go find it. It's this, it's very cool, but they talked about how all of her music, no matter what style it was, whether it was electronic or then the minimalism that she turned to later, mm-hmm. or she even dabbled in like 12 tone and a little romantic, the kind of like overlying characteristic was lyricism, which I thought was cool. Like in how <laughs> lyrical electronic music right. <laughs> but it's true she has a really authentic kind of sound and but I love her I love her piano music it's very cool she and she has a few pieces that are preludes that are a little bit jazz inspired also mm. that are good for students so she has kind of an eclectic you know output but she was she's very was very cool to learn about um a couple from some earlier eras, Madalena Casulana was the first, she was from 16th century Italy, and she was the first professional female composer. She was the first woman to get her music published. So she's like the earliest published female composer ever. So I thought we need to learn about her. Yeah. And even all the way back then, she was writing about the barriers, the gender barriers that she was up against. She... Uh-huh. In one of the dedications to her pieces, I think she dedicated it to Isabella de Medici and mm-hmm. was talking about how she wanted to show men that women share equally in this like gifts of intellect. You know, women can do these things too. So all the way back then, she was trying to break down those barriers and that was really cool to learn about. Yeah. And then let's go a little bit later, 18th century England. There's a composer named Elisabetta Gambarini, and she was the first British woman to publish like a collection of keyboard music. So she has, she Uh actually, I've seen her a lot in anthologies of female composer works for younger students for the lower levels. She has like some minuets and things that are really great. That would be a really good art alternative to like the Anna Mandalina notebook pieces. Um, And she died really young, like at age 35. So it would have been interesting to see what else she could have done. But um, I I included her because I thought she was important because I've seen her a lot in these anthologies that are coming out. last one I wanted to share, I wanted to share a romantic era composer. So Pauline Viardot was a French composer in the 19th century. She was mainly a singer. She was known as, she was a famous opera singer. I think she was a mezzo-soprano and she, but she also studied piano with Liszt. Like she was very talented. And as a singer, she, she actually traveled to Russia and she was like the first foreigner to sing in Russian. So she was just very well-known, very famous. 
In fact, Berlioz said that Madame Viardot is one of the greatest artists in the past and present history of music. So she was also admired by Chopin and Liszt. They just, she was just very famous. No kidding. Yeah. And so she wrote, she wrote a little bit for piano. So we're during the challenge, we're going to be listening to one of her piano pieces. So Mm -hmm. well, a large scope there in those five composers. Yeah. Variety, but it's so fun to explore new kinds of music and hear what they all have to offer. The one I'm thinking of that you actually sent to me that I was really impressed with was Helen Hopekirk, the Scottish composer. Yes. Um, She has this whole, this whole suite of dances, even though she was, you know, the turn of the century, late 19th century, early 20th century, she has a whole suite full of um, like a minuet and it starts with a saraband and things like that. And I have, I can't tell you how frustrating it is. I have students that are like, no, I just don't like Baroque music. I'm not going to play Baroque music. I can't do it. But hers uses those same forms and the same dance styles, but it's in a more romantic sort of harmonies. And so I'm totally completely using it as a bridge. Yes. She's another one. There's so many I'm excited about. I'm I'm really excited about her. Her piano music is beautiful. She, she lived, she was a contemporary of Amy Beach. Like she lived, she's from Scotland, but she, moved to America and she lived in Boston. So I'm sure they rubbed shoulders and kind of knew each other, but she's, she's the one that I'm really excited about too. Yeah. I listened to her piano concerto in D Uh minor. I think I'm just looking at my notes. I think it's Uh D minor. Um, And I think that needs to be put on the Federation, the National Federation of Music Clubs. It needs to be put on that list because... I haven't listened to that one yet. I'll have to go with it. Yeah. It's difficult. It's difficult. It has somewhat of a it's somewhat reminiscent of Rachmaninoff a little bit, but not quite, you know, it it is very, it's a little bit different, obviously, but, um, but it's beautiful. And I, I can imagine that some students would really connect with that really, really well. Maybe if they're not, maybe if their hands aren't big enough to play Rachmaninoff, it might be a good, yeah, yeah, a little bit more accessible for us, for we little, little handed people. Exactly. Now, okay, I know you've told me this before, but now we're going on like 93 composers. How are you finding these new composers? Um, I listen a lot. I, I I listen on Apple Music a lot. So I find like albums, like a lot of people will do albums. There's a lot lately of just full of music by female composers. So mm-hmm. it'll have a collection. Some, some of them I find on there. Some of them I find, I'm in a couple of Facebook groups about women composers. And so Mm -hmm. I'll just screenshot them. I just kind of keep a running list, um, as I go. And I I have a lot of books too. I mean, there's not as many books about female composers as just as the male composers, the traditional music history books, but there's Mm -hmm. so many that I could explore still. Um, in fact, it was one of the things I've been doing this year was I decided to create a female composer club, kind of a composer of the month club for, for music teachers. And I'm really excited about it. We can chat about it if you want, but one person commented to me when I started it, she's like, this is so great, but how many months will you really have material for? (laughs) And I was like, Oh, I have, I could do this for like seven years already just with the ones I've already researched and learned about. And you know, I'm finding new ones all the time. So I think there's this misconception that there's not that many, but there's so many, so mm-hmm. many composers out there. Social media, the living composers today, they'll have mm-hmm. Instagram accounts and I find some of them that way. Um, so, you know, 
just, you know, going on social media and you, you see them post videos of them playing their music and things like that. So that's yeah. another great way. I, I think that's just fantastic. And I think it's fantastic that what you're doing. So tell me about this uh, composer of the month club that you've got going on. Female composer club. Yeah. So this, so my whole belief is that if, if the music teachers can teach, you know, today's musicians, young musicians about female composers, then I think that can help to change the the narrative a little bit. So I decided to create this, it's like a composer of the month club. So it's just $5 a month. And so teachers can join and every month I send them a studio licensed PDF with just tons of resources about one composer. So we started in November. So we've done it for about four months already and, and I'm loving it. It's so much fun. So um, I include things kind of for every age level. So there's something for everybody. They can kind of choose between there's some coloring pages for younger students. There's a really just kind of easy to read bio sheet about their life. Um, kind of with bullet points and little pictures that goes with it. So they can just learn about the composer. There's a worksheet that they can fill in and, and the worksheet and the bio go together. And there's one piece with kind of listening prompts, telling, telling them what to listen for. So that's Mm -hmm. great for the older students who can read that and they can listen and, you know, kind of record their, their reactions to the music. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I always include, recommended listening lists with playlists and recommended piano pieces for students kind of in order of difficulty. So, Mm -hmm. so teachers have a a resource of where they can get the music and what music is good um, for their students, because it's still really hard to find music. Yeah. Um, I was at my state music teacher conference last in November and my, I had a booth with my books, you know, and, and things. And right next to me was a big music stores booth. And I overheard a woman ask him, do you have any female composer music? And he was kind of like, uh, I don't know. And she was trying to explain to him and he wasn't like, you know, they didn't have any, they didn't really have any. And so right. I said, come here. And, and so I showed her and And I showed her this page. And so included in this club is the page. And I will update it as new things come out, a page with all of the anthologies you can find, where to find their music, Um, because it's still difficult. You can't just go to a music store because there's not that demand. So hopefully we're, you know, this helps educate the teachers too and helps them to be able to explore their music and find out what they want and what they want their students to learn. Yeah. So. I think it would be good to get these in some of the auditions lists as well. Like if we get into yes. Federation or, or um, ABRSM or RCM or any of those things, I think that's a really good way to push and to kind of push yes. that along a little faster. Mm-hmm. And I haven't explored those a lot to see how many are in now. I know that my local UMTA has AIM, the Achievement in Music mm-hmm. Program, and they actually contacted me last year because they were trying to add female composers to their list. So I was able to help them. I gave them a list of recommendations. And so I thought that was awesome, you know, so I think we're making strides and we're getting people interested in it and, you know, wondering about it. And Mm -hmm. so it's great that I can hopefully help them, you know, point them in the right direction of where, where they can find the music and, and to help them teach about these composers to their students. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what do you think is probably the easiest way for teachers to incorporate all of this listening and all of these biographies and music history? What's like the easiest way to put that into their lessons? 
You know, it depends. I know some just um, the coloring pages are great for sending home. You, we don't have a lot of time as piano teachers in lessons. We run out of time so quickly. Um, I have, you know, greater success doing these kinds of things in group classes, in a group setting. That's a great way to do it. If you have a monthly group class or, you know, however you structure your lessons, that's a great way to do it. Some teachers have, um, you know, a, a separate listening lab or, you know, a separate, some kind of component of their lessons where students could do this very well. The composer club is, is laid out as, you know, there's things you can send home depending on their age that they can take home and do, but yeah, it just kind of depends. And they're, you know, they're great for a classroom setting as well. So mm -hmm. this, this resource would be great for classroom teachers, even homeschool parents who want to teach their, their kids about music history. Yeah. It just kind of depends on the setup of your studio. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice for everybody. I love it. Thank you for coming and talking with us. So how do we find you and how do we become part of the Female Composers Club? So I'm I'm on Instagram at The Playful Piano. My website's theplayfulpiano.com. And um, so you can just go to Instagram and there are links all over there, how you sign up for the challenge. And you can also find me at femalecomposerclub.com. That's how you join the Female Composer Club. And if you do go join the challenge this month, you actually get a free Female Composer Club pack. And it's all about Ann Salvum. So it's totally free. So you can learn all about her. It was so fun to put together um, and learn about her life. But yeah, you can find me on Facebook too. Perfect. And I'll have links to all of this in our show notes so that everyone, awesome. everyone awesome. can find it. So, well, Jenny, thanks so much. It was so good to see you again. See you always. Yes, of <laughs> course. So often. Yeah, I, I know. I know it's so far away, just totally yep. across the country. But, exactly. but I love this uh, female composers and all of these challenges that you do. It's just, it's really great. And I've learned so much from it. So I really appreciate it. So. Oh, thanks so much. Thank you for joining me today on the Musicians vs. the World podcast in my conversation with Jenny Boster, owner of The Playful Piano. Hopefully this has inspired you to learn more about some of the composers we've mentioned, even if you're not a pianist. I've been playing selections from the repertoire of some of these composers throughout this episode. Right now, you are listening to my recording of Phoebe, Opus 30, Number 1 by Mel Bonis. Throughout this episode, you've also heard Amy Beach's Dreaming, Opus 15, Number 3, performed by Andrus Baston and shared with a Creative Commons attribution license from IMSLP, and The Stars from 12 Poems of Pushkin, Fett, and Turgenev, Number 12, by Pauline Viardot, performed by Victoria Koroneva, mezzo-soprano, Igor Zubkovsky on cello, and Irina Kulikova on piano. Again, this is shared with a Creative Commons attribution license from IMSLP. If you are a music teacher and are interested in joining in on Jenny's Female Composers Challenge or her Female Composer of the Month Club, you can find out more information on her website, theplayfulpiano.com, or find her on Instagram or Facebook. I will have links to these as well as some other useful information in our show notes on our website, frostedlens.com slash musiciansversustheworld. Musicians vs. the World is a production of Frosted Lens Entertainment in conjunction with Smith Sound Music. It is hosted and edited by me, Christine Smith, and our producer today is Russ Wilkes. 
If you have enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss out on any future conversations. Also, if you're more of a visual person and are interested in seeing our faces and seeing some of these resources that Jenny mentioned, you can now find us on YouTube on our Musicians vs. the World channel. And if you want to help us reach more people that may be interested in today's topic, share this episode with them or leave us a nice review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you need to reach us, we'd love to hear from you, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or you can always send us an email at info at Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day.